Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest on our phone today from the 316 area. 613. Code. 613. Oh, I'm so dyslexic. <laughs> I'm so dyslexic when it comes to numbers. It's actually quite horrible. I'm, I'm Lex Dixic when it comes... I get yeah. it. Get it? Lex Dixic. I'm Lex Dixic when it comes to numbers. I always jumble them up. So we got a 613 area code. It's actually going to be something really cool. I love the work that happens here. We are talking to Karen. Karen yes. is a massage therapist. She also does a hell of a lot of cartoons and they're freaking awesome. I love it. Yeah, I'm actually on um, the website right now and, and we will repeat this at the end, but uh, it's adventuresfromkarensclinic.com and I'm actually just like scrolling through some of your cartoons right now. They're so fun. If you are an <laughs> RMT in Ontario and you are in any of the massage groups, you've definitely seen some of not even just Ontario, actually, because I've I've seen your stuff. I think posted in some of the Canadian groups on Facebook. Yeah, right on. I I, I really dig it. They they make me laugh. So before we start today, um, I'm gonna pass the mic over to Karen virtually because we're obviously not in person today. Pass the mic. <laughs> we're gonna pass the mic. And um, Karen, for everybody listening, can you just give us a little bit of background on you? How long you've been practicing as an RMT? How long you've been doing cartoons? And you know how these two passions came together to form Adventures from Karen's Clinic. Okay. Uh, well, I've been cartooning my whole life. I've been drawing all the time uh, since I was a little kid. What was cool was my mother kept all the drawings that I did, and I would do cartoons and cards for everybody as a little kid. And then, and then I took um, animation at Sheridan College. Oh, nice! When I started to get to know people there, and they would draw pictures for each other, and that was it stunned me because that was my language. That was what I loved. But I was, you know, I was a big toad in a little pool mm-hmm. because I was the only one that did it, and everyone liked it, and it was good. And I got a lot of um, feedback for doing cartoons as a kid. But then I'm in this environment where everybody, that's the language. When you'd come back to your desk and there's some silly cartoon left on your desk. And it 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 just opened up my mind that I loved it. I just loved having that as a language. Can I ask you a question about Sheridan? How long ago did you go to Sheridan for for animation? Let me think back. I, I graduated in 1980. All right. So I have a buddy who went to Sheridan for animation straight, straight out of high school. And, yeah. you know, he was, he, he was a great visual artist and he broke down his first term at Sheridan because it was Big Fish Small Pond at our high school. And then he gets to Sheridan and pretty much his, his professors were like to everyone in the class, everything you thought you were. And as good as <laughs> as good as you thought you were, you're not. And, yeah. and and it was a really kind of break you down to build you back up moment. And uh he he almost didn't survive, but he came out of it pretty strong and he got a job. His one of his first jobs was in New York City working for MTV, and then he did some stuff with Disney, and now he runs an animation company in Toronto. But he said he really struggled a lot with it his first term, just because of like, you know, you were you were good or you thought you were good and then now you're in class with a bunch of other people who are just as good yeah, if not better yeah. and now your instructor is also your professor is saying eh, whatever you thought you were forget it you're not I didn't have that feeling at the beginning because I could tell in pretty quickly that there were people that were really really good and I didn't I wasn't in the comparison mood at that time it was a bit later when I started to date 
um, my future husband, which I'm no longer with, but um, uh, he was one of these amazing um, draftsmen. He could just draw circles around people, and his his work was really advanced, very good stuff. He actually designed um, stuff for the Incredibles. Oh, that's, oh, that's really cool. cool. Yeah. He, he just had this immediate, you could see his work immediately, and it was so cool. And then I began to compare and feel like, oh, I'm not very good, and I, how can I do this? And what was good with the teachers at the time, I think I was there much longer before your friend, but the teachers there were made, actually had said to me, you know, Karen, you don't draw the same way as as Scott, but you're funny. <laughs> you 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 get the gags. There's, I I would draw gags, and it was just a different way of doing it. And I had, but it took a long time for me to really come into my own fully. And that was long after I was out of animation school. It's when I was on my own and started to develop my own style. Then I started to feel like, yeah, yeah, this is something I could do. I worked originally. The first thing I worked on was Scooby Doo when I got right out of college. Now you're speaking Mark's language. We <laughs> have we have two small children. They're three and six. So, I mean, they don't really care about Scooby-Doo, but trust me, they no, have they seen every Scooby-Doo that we could get our hands on because <laughs> Mark is obsessed. Yeah, well, it was a long, long time ago, but that was one of those first ones. And then there was a big layoff of writers, or no, a strike of writers down in Hollywood, which then dried up our scripts. And then I moved on to work at Nelvana. It's a animation studio in Toronto. And at the time, they had a commercial section, which I was working at. And I was an assistant um, animator. And um, I learned a lot. There was also part of that studio that was working on rock and roll. I don't know if it's a kind of a cult film now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Rock and roll? Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so I, I only worked a tiny bit on that because I was working in the commercial area. Um, then I moved to Ottawa and worked on the Raccoon series. Um, that was back in 90, sorry, 82. I'm not sure how old you are, but the Raccoon series was a half-hour Canadian made CBC evening special shows that were on. And again, do you know what I'm talking about? The Raccoon series with Burt Raccoon? I do. I'm I'm of the age. I I'm a I'm I'm 1975 birthed. So this is right up my alley. This was very unusual because very seldom usually at these sort of shows were made outside of Canada and so this was made here in Ottawa. Now, you know what I missed? I worked on Inspector Gadget. Nice. That was my favorite show. <laughs> I've never been an early riser my entire life. But my mother will tell you, on. there was a time when it came out at 6.30, actually. And my mother will oh, tell yeah, you right, that right. I would get her out of bed to watch Inspector Gadget at 6.30 because I was obsessed with that the show. The first thing I learned to play on the piano was the Inspector Gadget oh, theme no song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? I loved it. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Can I ask you a question about Scooby-Doo, though? You could, but I don't know how much I'll be able to answer it. Your interpretation are Shaggy and Scooby Stoners. <laughs> I would imagine so, but I have no idea. <laughs> I think it depends on what you're actually smoking at the time you watch them. <laughs> Even Inspector Gadget, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that watch that and went, "Wow, well, this is awesome, man!" <laughs> this sounds so cool. I was in, in Scott and I were engaged, and he was offered a job in Taiwan to work on Inspector Gadget. And um, 
I had picked up work to work a little bit on voice. Um, they do the voice recording, and I was to take the voice recording in Toronto, and we call it breaking it down, but writing down what the voice sounds like for every line. It might take, you know, four lines to say hello. So I would mark that down, and that was a job that I did. And so... Um, I was working on Inspector Gadget before Scott got the opportunity to go overseas. And then he said, of course, I'm not going without Karen. So we went together and we worked at Cuckoo's Nest in Taipei, Taiwan, for um, two months back in 83, yeah, about 82, 83. So that was really fun. And then we also went to Japan to continue working on it. So he he was doing design work and he was director of layout but I wasn't doing any animation at that time I was helping with production I was doing all kinds of different things I technically wasn't even hired I just was going along for the ride but then once we went to Japan then I negotiated a wage and I worked there um, but that was um, that was really fun because I often mention Inspector Gadget to people and they, that's uh, one that a lot of people remember. Yeah, for sure. That was like most of my childhood. I loved Inspector Gadget. This all sounds really, really interesting. And I, I don't want to jump ahead because we're only at like 1983 here. It sounds like you had like this really awesome career like in animation and um, in production. And I'm really curious to see how somebody goes from that career into massage therapy? I loved animation. I always did, and I still look back on it really fondly. But it was a tough business to be in. Um, I did have the opportunity to come to Ottawa. I became an animator here, which was what I wanted. It was a step up. And then I progressed through the that, um, studio to become, um, and then to another studio to become an assistant animation director, and then the animation director for the Raccoon series. And it was great, but as time was passing, it became so obvious that the, the, the problems that we had, which was never quite enough money, it was often overproduced, and they wanted it yesterday. And those pressures were constant all the time. We had a verified situation where we actually were paid a salary, like a base salary, and then we got paid for the amount of work we did over that. This was rare. Usually any studio was piecework, and um, to make enough money was very difficult. And um, after a while, it did get tiresome. I was working on um, also a feature film through that studio, uh, Hinton Animation. And finally, I just, I was tired of the business and I just really wanted out. It was, we were working very, very long hours for not a lot of money. And I needed, I needed a break. I went back in to it, but not, I was doing more freelance work. And after a while, I just thought, there's got to be something else. I really want to run my own business. As much as I love the animation, as much as I love the people in the animation, I wanted to run my own business. And it was that shift that made me think, well, what could I do that I could run my own business? And, and massage was something I had always loved. I liked getting it. I, lo- I didn't mind touching people. It always helps not to mind touching people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I decided, I looked into it. I happened to be at a dinner one night, the woman that sat beside me. 
was um, one of the recruiters from Algonquin College, and they were just beginning to set up a massage therapy program there. And so we had a good chat, and she told me where to apply. I didn't get into the first stream, which was good because they were working out all the bugs. I got into the second year that um, Algonquin started to do massage therapy. And I graduated from there in 2001. So it was, but all the time I was going to school, I was making money by doing freelance animation work. But it became a real drag. So by the time I was able to really start working from, for myself as a massage therapist, I stopped drawing completely. I was so tired of it. And it took a while, uh, it took uh, over a year or so, I finally went back to a life drawing class and started to draw again and then got back into it just for myself. So I wasn't being paid to do it. I was then able to do massage, and I loved that, and I loved having the control over it. Because in animation, I would work months on one scene, and uh, well, weeks maybe on one scene, and then it's you finally see it on on the big screen and or, or television, and suddenly you're watching and going, and oh, blip, there's your scene. <laughs> and you, oh, okay, well, that was great. <laughs> but in, in massage, people are so delighted, even just as they walk in the door, pretty much can't go wrong. People are going to leave feeling better than they came in. It's very rare that they don't. So that was the big thing. Oh, man, I, I love this business. This is great. And it was in 2005, my friend Pam Fitch, I don't know if you know Pam, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a teacher here at Algonquin, we got to know each other. And she was also editor of the magazine at the time, which the magazine is now Massage Therapy Today. It was called something else before, but she was one of the um, editors of it. And it was then she asked me, would you consider doing um, a cartoon, a comic strip about massage? that we can put into the magazine. And that's, that was the beginning back in 2005. The magazine changed, and they decided not to have... They wanted it more academic and more serious, and so they didn't want to have a cartoon in it. Both Pam and I thought they really should have a cartoon. They were very, very serious. But then what they did is they started to then publish it in the Friday file once a month. Mm -hmm. So it was still getting out there, but it wasn't in the same format. There's so many things that I want to say. I was just listening to you in awe, and I'm like trying to remember all of these things I wanted to say. Firstly, I love doing this podcast and learning about people's stories and different careers they've done because I'm always shocked in some way. Like when you were saying that, you know, you had a full like 20 year career in animation before and now you've had a, you know, a 20 year career as a massage therapist. Someone seeing your, your, your cartoons anywhere in massage land. No idea. idea. But that wasn't even the shocking part. It's like you think of a career like animation and in my mind, because I, I have no idea what it's like. I'm, you know, I'm not an animator. I have no idea what goes into that. It's, it's one, I didn't realize, like, I'm thinking it would be something that's, you know, semi-glamorous. And when I'm hearing Karen say that you basically work on one scene that's a blip for weeks and weeks and weeks, and you're working all these crazy long hours, and for little pay, I always assumed that, you know, if you're working on Scooby-Doo, I assume that you're making some good money. Like, it's it's so <laughs> no. sad to hear that, like, these people that bring so much happiness are not making a decent amount of money. That was really shocking to me, actually. Yeah, and that- that's why the Hinton Animation, when they set it up, and I'm, I got to put the plug in, it was women that were the managers and it was women who were the 
producers of that setup. There was lots of men there, but it was very unusual to have women because the business tends to have more men than women. Mm -hmm. That studio, when they set it up, they knew that people weren't making a proper living, and that's why they set it up to have a base salary, a, a kind of a minimum wage thing that we knew we would get no matter what. And then, because it was a bit of the luck of the draw, what scenes you got, right? I could get a scene where someone is running for quite a distance. You do, you make a little cycle of that, and you have a long, long scene. But for the action that I just drew was very little. But I could get paid for the footage of that, how much mm. footage it was. So therefore, I got paid well, perhaps for that scene. And something else is not seen all that long. But I would have put a lot of work into a lot of action if there were several characters. They tried to balance it out. As an animation director, I would try to feed the animators scenes that balanced out. So, well, you got an easy one last week. Well, we're going to give you a little tougher one this week. Yeah, it, it, it could be challenging at times. But the people were so fantastic. The, everyone thought a little bit sideways. <laughs> you know, there was this sort of bent way of viewing the world and the humor and the nonsense that would go on, the drawings and the cartoons and the toys. <laughs> when I was working on Scooby-Doo, um, we were in a loft, like a big warehouse loft in Toronto. And uh, it was a Friday afternoon and we just kind of got crazy. And there was a big water gun fight going on. And, you know, the big gun fights, you know, the one big water one. Super soakers, super soakers. Soakers. And, and somebody from downstairs of where we were working came upstairs all quite indignant and said, who, excuse me, where, who do I speak to? This is too rowdy. And we're going, well, the little guy with the, the short guy with the big soaker standing behind the pillar. Yeah, he's the boss. <laughs> so there could be a lot of nonsense and fun that would go on, which really stimulated the creative juices mm. and that part you just i just loved it absolutely i do have a question though about the scenes that you've done because i always wonder this stuff like for example when i because i used to play a lot of music and we used to record stuff and every time we'd record something i would always throw in a little something into the recording like a little a little hidden easter egg just for me to be like okay this is there's a little little piece that i'm hiding in here somewhere and i know my buddy that did anim animation he used to do that a lot he would put in you know just the just really obscure places you know little little pieces of his life or his friends like this little joke that can kind of run all the time is that a thing that happens often are there are there pieces of inspector gadget running around right now <laughs> with like little tidbits of 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 you in it that that you, only if you point it out it, it's visible not for me um where that can come in is when people are doing the layouts. Like, what did he do? Does he animate, or was he doing the drawing of the backgrounds? Uh, he he actually he was doing he was doing both. Like, I mean, never on the same project. But right. Over his career, he would be doing both. Yeah. <laughs> you got to know your bosses well to be able to put something in and have it left in. Because if you think no one's seeing it, they are seeing it. Those people right. that are looking at the screen all the time and studying, checking to make sure the animation's working and everything, they're going to catch all that. And if they think it's okay, they'll leave it in. And I do know that for some friends of mine, the ones that were doing backgrounds where they might have secondary characters that might look like somebody else, like in the raccoons, they might look like someone else. I didn't do that myself, but there would be some of the guys that would do that. And, and it was fun. But you, it would go by very fast and nobody would know but us. Exactly, yeah. 
And there was one time when I was we worked on a half hour one. I was an animation director on um, Babar Christmas, and I don't know how they managed to do it, but somebody put in a uh, a line. It was just the animation; it wasn't painted or anything, but it was really rude thing of uh, Babar and Celeste boinking. Oh no! And the scene, and there was, but it fit the dialogue that was being given, and suddenly it comes up, and we're just, you know, laughing our heads off. This was hilarious, and we think, okay, well that's cute, and that's it. Well, it went right through the whole system, got inked and painted, and again, when we saw it again, just for us they put that scene back in again and we all just had a big laugh over it. And of course it was taken out before it got sent to television. When you just said it went through the whole system, see, cause I don't understand the <laughs> lingo. I looked at Mark like, Holy shit, that went to TV. <laughs> no, no, it didn't get as far as television. My, my apologies. So it went through the whole studio production right. before it would be wrapped. Wrapped meaning it was completely done in the can and given to the television. So just before then we saw it again before it was completely finished, just so that we would have a laugh. That was really all it was, very per- private laugh. And so things like that would happen, certainly. And and I'm sure your friend has had lots of that kind of thing that goes on. I wasn't, I wasn't doing that myself as much. Depends on the jobs you have within it. That's one of those things, Mark. Like sometimes we will be, um, we'll be watching TV and, you know, a swear word will happen like on a network in the middle of the day. And Mark's famous line is always, somebody's getting fired. Like if that had gotten through, that would have been the somebody's getting fired. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So once you decided to go to massage college, which like I said, I still find it like so random, but I guess, you know, if you're at that point where you're like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm 20 years or so into this animation thing and Honestly, I need a change. But I feel like most people that had a career before massage it therapy. It's always it, creative. It's, it's so random. Always. It, but yeah. then ending yeah. up in massage is random. I feel like when you're coming out of like high school, you know what I mean? And then you go to massage, it's 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 obviously a little bit more well thought out. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, the second career, it tends to be a little random. It is pretty random. So, I mean, yes, you said... Um, you don't mind touching people. And yes, that is a plus. I think it's definitely helpful if you don't mind touching other people. But aside from getting treatments, like did you, what was your experience with massage? How did you come to think like I could be good at this career? Because when I would do, uh, you know, I would do massage with friends and I, and they liked it. And, they, and I knew I was good at it. And I would get a massage from somebody else. And I'd go, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> you just sort of know that gee, that's something like I knew I could draw. And I knew that I could do massage. I just knew that that wouldn't be a problem. Oh, also, I've got to back up. I didn't go into Algonquin massage immediately. I actually took a course down in the States. Um, it was at, I don't know if you've ever heard of Kripalu. It's a health and yoga center down in Massachusetts. At the time I went, it was an ashram. So there was a guru and there was all that stuff. But they took there was courses offered. And I studied there it was an intense month-long program for body work. So I took that, and then when I came home, I started to bring in clients. I worked at home, and I did my animation at home as well. The, the massage was, I always made sure everyone knew I'm not registered, so I didn't have a receipt. I gave them receipts, but you can't use this for your insurance. Right. Um, and I loved what I was doing, and that, that was a way of getting in. That was sort of a, the bridge. And I, the more I did it, the better I liked it. But I also came to realize I'm not 
going to expand here if I don't have insurance coverage. So then I, I, that's when I began to think, gee, it would be nice to really get registered, but there were no schools here in Ottawa. And that's when finally, when I met that woman, they said, yeah, we're starting up a school at Algonquin. That would be, that worked out great. But I, in fact, was working as a body worker. Sorry, I completely missed that. Well, it makes it a little less random now. It makes total sense yeah. why you would you would go to massage school. Because massage school, I mean, now you've been through it, you know. Uh, majority of people that we have on the podcast, you know, they say massage seemed interesting, but I had no idea how intense the school would be. Um, did you have a similar experience? Like, how did you find school? Very intense. I was, I was uh, 40 or more when I started in, at Algonquin, and so I had to learn to learn. It was really challenging because I'm not, I wouldn't say I was an academic kind of person or scholarly in any way, so I had to really buckle down. And, and the first year, I almost felt like I almost flunked out because that academic part was hard. I got better the next year, I got better the third year, and realized nobody ever asks you, what are your marks at school? <laughs> exactly. That's true. No, can you give a massage or not? And so the advantage I had compared to some of these kids straight out of high school was I had massaged a lot of people, and I had I had the hands. I knew how to work with people. I knew how to interact with clients. I knew how how to listen to what was going on without getting too, too caught up with the academic of it during a massage. I got caught up in the, the academic scholarly stuff when I was in class. But um, that part, the, putting those two pieces together, it was interesting. When I went down to, to Capralo to first take it, I went to see my massage therapist. Her name was Wendy. And I asked her, gee, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, taking this course down there. What do you think? It's not like registered, but what do you think? And she, she said an interesting thing. She said, you know what? Our profession is trying so hard to fit the medical model that we have completely lost the whole idea of a loving touch, a healing touch. We're trying so hard to be that accepted into the medical model. So she said, whatever you learn at, at Kripalu about that more loving touch will be invaluable because everything after that is technique and you can always learn technique. But that fundamental piece is a really good ground grounding for that. And so when I actually, the very first day when we had that um, course down at Kripalu, they showed us a little film of a kid in Beirut that was just completely freaking out. This was when there was a war on, there was bombing going on. This little kid was just nutty, and uh, a, a hand, this woman, she was a nun, actually, she brought her hand in, she just touched this kid's chest in a very random way. There was no technique, there was no nothing. It was just, she was just touching and patting his little chest, and the kid calmed right down. And they turned around and said to us, that's what we're trying to teach you. And then I, I oh, okay. That is a very different approach than what we were getting at, the kind of schools that you and I have been in, right? The Algonquin and wherever you studied. It's, 
it's very academic. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I have to agree with your your RMT, Wendy. I don't know if uh, Wendy is still an RMT, but it is really true that a lot of massage therapists are so caught because, yes, we we do have the education that's very similar to other healthcare professionals. And, you know, so RMTs, I think, sometimes don't like to be um, viewed as sort of the bottom rung, you know, in healthcare. So they want to prove that we know all this stuff and we have the technical skills and we have the assessment knowledge and, you know, we understand um, anatomy and physiology and orthopedic tests and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, a lot of times, what are our clients looking for? It's like you said, that piece, that soft piece that a lot of RMTs, I think, are are not thinking so much about. I shouldn't say a lot of RMTs. I'm sure there's many, many, many that that's still a very important piece. But, you know, my clients don't know what the technique is supposed to be. What they know is how they feel when they're with me, if I'm, like you said, if I'm listening to them, if I'm addressing their concerns, and how they feel when they leave. You know, that's what they care about. Yeah. And you know what's very cool, particularly now, like when I first started, it was just beginning to move away from the wink, wink, nudge, nudge attitude around massage. If you said I'm a massage therapist, there was a bit of a, oh, yeah, right, yeah. With a massage parlor attitude. That's not... You don't hear that as much as we did before. And what's cool is that there is massage out there for everybody. There's the spa massages. There is the sports massage. There is just every form of it. And that's why it's very hard to categorize us sometimes, hurting cats. You know, we no one size fits all. We've got this wonderful continuum of what we can all do and what we're capable of. And I love that. R-M-T-A-O, back when it was called the O-M-T-A. And that's when, um, I don't know if I can name names. I think it will. Yes, it will. Um, Massage Addict first came in. And there was such pushback. And as a board, we this information was brought to us, and there were people just screaming, RMTs, you've got to do something about this. This can't be happening. This is lowering the whole standard. They're just bringing people in like a like a factory. But as we looked at all the information, what we saw, what I saw, was this was a gateway to people getting massage. They could afford the prices that um, Massage Addict was offering. If they found that they didn't want to continue there, they'd go someplace else that was a different kind of massage. But for a lot of people, that was the beginning. They didn't know anything about massage. But there's a place that's giving us this really great deal. That sounds good to me. And they'd go and they'd try it and they'd go, hey, this is okay. I, I never thought I'd try a massage before. And so I felt like there's a place for this and they shouldn't be pushed out any more than any other clinic should be pushed out. Everybody, I think, has a place for it. And the more of us out there, the more the public becomes familiar with what we do. There was this big worry that there's too many schools and they're pumping out way too many massage therapists. I don't agree. I think that the more of us are out there, the more the pup is a huge a number of people that do not yet know anything about massage. So that's a big area to tap into, I think, eventually. If only everybody had your positive attitude, Karen. Uh, Mark's <laughs> flipping through some of your cartoons right now. And it's funny to me because I don't know if you've ever heard any of our episodes, but we have a segment that we do called the Unprofessional Hour where we have RMTs come in, typically anonymously and, um, you know, without breaching any confidentiality. We just talk about some of the funny things that happen, you know. So when people do mistake us for a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, massage parlor or 
Or, you know, when you have a client who gets so relaxed on the table and, you know, bodily functions happen. So we have like this whole segment where we just talk about the funny stuff that happens. That's so great. Oh, I definitely want to hear that. That's so cool. It, it can get a little um, R-rated. Just warning you, don't listen to it around anybody that you wouldn't want to hear that. Wallflower, you know, I might be offended. <laughs> Not. But I, I have to say, like, as I'm, I'm watching Mark scroll through your comics, um, where does the inspiration yeah. come how from? Much of, how, much how much of this, this is, is from your own experience like the tattoo ones <laughs> that's real you see i mean honestly we see the most amazing tattoos with people um but i do see some that i go oh what were you thinking so for example for example did you really see a smurf on somebody no <laughs> but i did see some other ones that were really really bad i oh just badly drawn and as an artist i'd look at these and go oh god just so badly drawn, but they can't see them because it's on their back. Oh, that must hurt your soul as an artist to see these awful tattoos. But then some, you know, in school they'd say, well, you just don't comment on any of these things. You don't comment about it. And I think, yeah, but I'm not going to comment if it's a bad one. I just don't say anything. But if it is brilliant, <laughs> beautifully executed, I cannot stop my stuff. But that, I just got to tell you, that is an awesome tat, man. That is fabulous. <laughs> Because I'm one of those people that's way too fickle to get a tattoo. You'd have to design your own. You'd have to draw it and just bring it to somebody and say, put this exactly the way it is. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny. I love the, the crazy things that do happen in massage. And I, I took a stand-up comedy course last year. And I had, I've had a couple of gigs since then. But part of my routine um, my set is talking about funny things that happen in massage, stealing ideas from my own cartoons, but putting them in a stand-up comedy way. And some of them are a little bit blue because they're, you know, because we do get these people that come in with a, they think that we're, <laughs> we're, we're the rub and tug and we're yep. not. So then I have to ask you, Karen, it, because, you know, you put them in your cartoons, you put them in your stand-up. What is the funniest thing that's ever happened to you as a massage therapist? Oh, God. There's so many ones that keep bumping through my head. The one that what keeps coming to mind, I'll just tell you this. What I talk about in the, um, my stand-up stuff is there a guy came in, and um, I'm uh, in the LGBT community. So this guy got my information from an LGBT newspaper in town. This is many years ago. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, he's a gay guy and everything's groovy. Then he begins to ask me about, um, do I accept tips? And I am going, no, no, but that, thank you very much. And that's a very nice tip, but no. And he said, well, I, I used to go with somebody else and they accepted tips. And I'm going, well, well, well thanks. That's really great that they did, but I don't. And, and he's looking at, and I suddenly <laughs> dawn on me, he's wanting the happy ending. <laughs> massage and I'm like I suddenly went oh 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 you don't want me I'm a big old dyke last person you're gonna want it's been a long time since I've been anywhere anybody's parts there so I think you're just you know but it's fine whatever you want someplace else but I'm not your girl I picked the wrong time to take a sip Back of my water and he was very sweet about it very apologetic he just mis misunderstood. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, and you really need to listen to the unprofessional hour then, because it's oh, it's, uh, I might get some ideas. Yeah. <laughs> how long? How long is your set? Your stand-up set? Four minutes. Nice. And it seems like an eternity. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. 
I, I always thought, well, you know, I could do that. I can tell a funny story. Uh-oh, no way. It, when you get up there, they don't want to hear funny stories. They want to hear punchlines. And you have to get a rhythm going, and they've got to be way – and they, the, the guy that was instructing us was um, saying, you know, the truth isn't your friend. You really have to take it way, way over the top. And um, that was good because that's the way I operate with my cartoons. You know, you have an idea and then you go, okay, how can I go further with this? What would make this much funnier? But it's much harder when you're standing up in front of people. Right. And they don't laugh. <laughs> See, I'd imagine someone that does cartoons would have a really good appreciation for, for stand-up comics. Like, the stand-up comedy is so freaking hard and to watch someone that is really good i watch dave Chappelle, and i'm just freaking blown away how yeah. this dude just gets up and he commands the room so bloody well and it feels like he's just riffing you know it doesn't feel like anything's prepared it just feels yeah. like he's just riffing to the audience in front of him i'm like you are such a master like brilliant stuff i mean it's such an art form that i just admire so much and i really, i wanted to try that and, you know, it's trying it's one thing, but really, you know, pursuing it's something else again. And I'm I'm not one to, that's not where I'm going to go in my world, but it just is amazing. Clients that know I do these cartoons, I think I, think I did a cartoon about it, that begin to tell me stories because they want me to do a cartoon about them. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm, there's nothing funny there, honey. <laughs> that's funny, actually, when um, I have a lot of clients who know that we do this podcast and... I uh, I don't tell clients that I do it because I start to think like if you're one of the people that says or does something hilarious and then I like talk about it on the podcast, I don't want them to hear it and get offended. Yeah. I sometimes have to really be careful about what ideas I put too soon to the time that it actually happened. Yeah. Because I don't want that person to see that I'm making fun of them. I, I try to do it in a way that isn't making fun of them, but I wouldn't want them to mis- yeah. mishear me. <laughs> you can't control what someone's going to think of that. And that's the, that's the idea when you're doing these, when you're doing these things and when you're doing comedy and things like that, like there are no limits to comedy and that's a big part of it. It's just, you have to be able to be open and be able to roll with it. And some people are going to get offended by stuff. But when you listen to comics really talk about their, their material, like comedians are completely different. They yeah. can find freaking humor in absolutely every scenario and when you think about it that is their job right so I find it really scary that we're at a time that that comedians feel like they can't 100% go out there and just do a show without worrying about a backlash from what they said and then having to issue apologies for things that you might have said and all the rest of it I think it's just a strange place to go with an art form like that mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I'm getting certainly the impression with you two that humor plays a really big part of my work as a massage therapist. I find I use it to, especially when I meet somebody new, I'm, I'm using it as a way to uh, feel them out. Like, where are they coming from? There's a, when I start a massage, I often do a little grounding thing, and I said, you know, take a couple of nice deep breaths right into your belly. And I got mixed up one day, and I said... Uh, take a couple of deep breaths into my belly. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 then, and then I'm like, oh, wrong, wrong. We had a laugh. Well, I use that joke every time I'm with someone new now. And I wait to see, do they even laugh? Now, some people, they're, 
They don't laugh. They don't move. And, you know, you're watching to see if the body even goes up and down. Nothing. And somebody else will howl laughing. And I get a big feedback of information about who, who is this person and how am I going to approach them. And if they don't find it funny, okay, I'm not going to be chatting with them or trying to joke around with them. And other people, oh, this one's fun. We're gonna, this is going to be a great way for them to relax because they, they get, we can joke around things a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's a tool for me. It sounds like it would be with you two as well, if you enjoy that. Uh, yeah, I have a really hard time being overly serious in almost any situation. Like oh, I make my girl. <laughs> I make fun of myself constantly. Um, actually, it's funny because the other day Mark said something to me and he's like, you make fun of me on the podcast a lot. Eh? And I thought he was saying that in a way that was negative. No, it's good and thing. I was like, what? I'm like, I'm not trying to make fun of no, you. I, I like, I thought all. I thought you thought it was funny. It is funny. <laughs> if I do something stupid or say something stupid, rip on me. That's that's the whole point of it. Yeah, it just really well in life in general god i couldn't get through a day if i wasn't laughing yeah especially right now like we need to find humor in some of these things if you can't now like humor is one of the only things that i have left that kind of just keeps me going throughout (laughs) my days and if i can't fucking have a laugh at something that probably i shouldn't laugh at then i don't know i've got nothing left that's why when things shut down at the beginning of last year i I didn't have anything to do, and I, all these ideas began to come to me about funny how we're all reacting to the pandemic. And so, actually, next year, not, yeah, we're into next year, but this year, I'm hopeful that I'm going to have uh, a book that I'm going to publish called The Lighter Side of the Pandemic, or the subtitle would be, What Day Is It Again? <laughs> Love it. And, and so uh, I'm going to just chronicle... I've been chronicling all the funny things that happen in massage once we did start back, but just how we as a culture have been dealing with it. And a whole, you know, the whole thing about people with the toilet papers, you know, stocking up on toilet paper and the masks and everything, putting that out as, a, as jokes, I find that really has lightened. For me, it keeps things lighter. And there's enough dark shit going on. I'm really not interested in adding to that. Yeah, I, I'm th- I'm with you. Like, I, I I think one of the episodes we did recently, I said the memes are keeping me going. You know, like uh, the more the more jokes that people are putting up about this, the better. Like, I actually was laughing earlier today about something that I mean, I'm not making fun of this person, but I kind of am. I had a <laughs> client who had an appointment booked with me next week and decided I to cancel after like so basically after um Doug Ford's announcement saying basically telling us to stay the fuck home which by the way he's been saying this entire time this is not new it's just now like okay case numbers are high so she sent me a message he and said she it said with the blue tie on it's different well, exactly <laughs> but she sends me this message and she says oh I guess we better cancel Tuesday because um, my husband's worried that I might get pulled over and I was like okay just think about what you're saying. Like, I'm going to cancel because I absolutely don't want you coming in if you're uncomfortable. But think about what you're saying. I, as a regulated healthcare professional, I am allowed to remain open. I, you know, I'm allowed to offer therapy. You, a regular client of mine, need therapy. Why would you get in trouble for coming to your appointment? If I'm allowed to be open, why wouldn't yeah. you be allowed to come here? So I was just laughing. I'm like, the logic that, like, nobody's using common sense or logic anymore. Like, Doug Ford says, stay home. So now you think that a police officer is going to pull you over and tell you to go the fuck home? I did cancel one client who was a senior. She and I had trouble getting her to keep her mask on like not pulling it down, and a a woman that was going to come see me from Montreal. 
that's let's just wait. We'll do that later. But I have some other. I don't have a lot of clients right now, but I'm I'm happy just to work with the ones that I've got. I, I saw a really. I mean, this is how crazy people are. I saw this really great thing on Facebook that came out of the states, and this guy was saying. Um, you know, I own a restaurant and I totally, you know, want to appreciate that people want to have their own rights about not wearing a mask. And I get that. So I'm not going to wash my hands or wear a mask when I'm preparing your food. And I'm going to do all this around your food because it's my right. <laughs> oh, that's good. He was, he was so better worded than the way I'm saying it. But it was this was absurd piece that just adds to it. That I love that. Yeah, I liked the ones with uh, the drawings that had like, you know, showing people how to wear the mask, you know, the people who wear the mask under their nose. And yeah, it was like, yeah. you know, well, a mask doesn't protect against anything. And it was like the guy wearing pants. So when he peed, the pee only went <laughs> on his own pants. But then if he's not wearing pants, the pee goes everywhere. Like, do you get it now? <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. I wish I'd come up with that. <laughs> there was a day that I was doing much more. I would come up with harsher cartoons. I don't know. There was some event that happened that I, okay, I want to come up with something. I think it was when something in Paris, one of the major cathedrals was um, on fire. And there was this huge outpouring of people wanting to put money into helping that come back and yet there was all these people that lived homeless around the cathedral and then nobody was paying any attention to them and I, I wanted to do a cartoon about it but I, I started to realize you know I'm only showing the problem I'm not offering up any solutions here and I stopped doing it I thought if I have something that I can put forward that's going to either lighten the mood or come up with a real solution that I'll draw it. But just to re just to redo the problem made me stop doing a lot of those really harsh cartoons because I just thought, nah, other people are doing them. I don't need to do those. Well, I love that you've managed to take two passions and two like full careers. As I said, you've been, you've been practicing massage right. longer than I have, and you had a full career in animation, and now you're doing a little bit of both. And I think it is great, and it is nice to have people who can still, you know, see the humor in things and poke fun at things, and yes, not everything has to be so do. fucking serious. Thank you very much for it. And I must say, I'm more, actually more of a performer than a artist because just to draw for the sake of it isn't my thing. I want other people to see it because to me that's the fun is having sharing the laugh. That's the that's the fun of it for me. Well I love it. One more time for people listening, can you give everybody your website or if you have any social media platforms to follow if they want to see some of your stuff? Yes. I'm on uh, Facebook, um Karen Monroe Capel and I'm on uh, a website called Adventures from Karen's Clinic. But you just pull up, you just put in my name. I'm pretty easily found on, on the internet. So just Karen Monroe Capel and those two websites, well, the Facebook and the website will come up. On Facebook is where I have all my pandemic cartoons. And that's also where I'll advertise when I get the book out next year or this year. I we'll see. Wait. We'll see when the pandemic's over. <laughs> <laughs> and you make a you make a calendar too, right? I do, I do, but it it has a limited shelf life because like nobody's buying anymore now, right? So I have to make enough of them that uh, I, then I'm sold out. So I sell them in October through into December, and then it's done. But when I make the book, it will be through a company that people will buy it from the publishing company. Wow. Well, thank and you. I 
Yes, I was really uh, tickled when you asked me, and I this is really fun chatting with you too. Mark and I both just made the same face when you said you were tickled. I don't know why we both <laughs> did the exact same face at each other. Because it's it's not how I would have described it. <laughs> well, please, it was it was like, oh, okay, that sounds like fun. It's not the way I would describe it, but I'm in full agreement. Like now that you said, I'm like, yeah, tickled yeah, is tickled. tickled is the word that probably best describes it. <laughs> I'm way older than you, I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Karen. This has been really fun. And I have a client coming in soon. So now I'm in a really great mood to actually get back to work after looking through some of your cartoons. Oh, great. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This was awesome. Thanks so much. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. Peace.